Niagara Falls is a massive three-headed cataract located just 30 miles north of Buffalo. Its waters, fed by Lake Erie, are carried swiftly by the currents of the mighty Niagara River. Just before passing over the falls, the river bottlenecks and shallows, propelling its waters over the falls at speeds up to 68 miles per hour. Once the waters traverse the cataract, they fall into the lower Niagara where, after surviving the rocks and the whirlpool, they meander north for nearly seven miles guided by the steep cliffs of the Niagara Gorge on their way to the depths of Lake Ontario. The gorge is a beautiful and dangerous byproduct of erosion caused by the receding falls over thousands of years. Originally, the only way to cross these treacherous waters was by a ferry boat at the base of the falls, where the water is at its calmest. The ferry, however, was a highly inefficient method of travel between the countries. This prompted the idea of a bridge a suspension bridge to traverse the river at its narrowest point, which is still 800 feet. The idea of a suspension bridge to connect New York State with Canada was first conceived by William Hamilton Merritt. During the War of 1812, Merritt fought for the British. It was during his patrols along the Niagara River that he first entertained creative ideas to circumvent the falls, whether it be by canal or bridge. Merritt later served in the Legislative Assembly of Upper Canada, and while in office, he used his influence to promote free trade and raise funds for transportation projects. Not only did he promote the idea of the suspension bridge, but also that of the Welland Canal, of which he is considered a father. For a time, Welland was even renamed Merrittsville in his honor. Merritt began campaigning for the bridge in 1846, and through him, Two bridge companies, the Niagara Falls Suspension Bridge Company from Canada and the International Bridge Company from New York, were granted permission from their respective governments to move forward with construction. A number of engineers submitted bridge proposals and construction plans to the committee. Among them was John Augustus Roebling, a leading authority on bridge design and construction. Roebling put forth an ambitious plan for a double-deck suspension bridge with a top level for railway cars and a bottom level for pedestrians and carriages. His proposal, however, was rejected for concerns over safety. And so, the committee chose to move forward with the plans of another expert in the engineering field, Charles Ellett, Jr. Ellett was a civil engineer from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Among his many design projects was West Virginia's Wheeling Bridge, which held the title as the longest suspension bridge in the world between 1849 and 1851. 
To traverse the Niagara Gorge, Outlet proposed a single-level bridge, only eight feet wide, for carriages and foot traffic to cross. However, once these plans were approved and construction was to begin, Outlet and his team were faced with an improbable task. To build a suspension bridge, a line or wire must be strung across the stream or gap below. Now, even at the bridge's chosen location at the narrowest point of the gap, there was still a whopping 800-foot chasm with perilous Class VI whirlpool rapids below, making a successful line from one side of the cliff to the other a precarious feat. Ellett and his team even debated on launching a cable from one side to the other by a cannon or a small rocket. But then Ellett's bridge superintendent, Theodore Hewlett, came up with a brilliant idea. Perhaps the wire could pass over the chasm by a simpler means, a kite. All that had to be done now was find somebody who could do it. And so the men created a contest to the winner a cash prize, which varied by source, but reaching as much as $50. In January 1848, the kite flying contest began, with a large turnout of young American and Canadian boys competing for the cash prize and the opportunity to jumpstart the construction project. A, quote, tremendous amount of boys turned out to compete in the event. It was an American boy, however, 16-year-old Homan Walsh of Niagara Falls, who would emerge the victor. With his kite, affectionately named the Union, Homan's challenges in securing the line for the bridge were widely documented. The Buffalo Courier, dated April 2, 1899, recorded that young Walsh, as he was frequently referred to as, knew he had to fly his kite from the Canadian side in order to prevail against the southwestern winds. He traveled the two miles back to the foot of the falls to travel by ferry boat across the Niagara River. Once he arrived on the Canadian shore, he had to wait a couple days for a strong enough wind. After the Union took flight, Walsh spent the day battling the fierce winds as crowds began to form on both borders. The amount of days that passed as Walsh attempted his flight vary from account to account. However, on perhaps the second or the third day, accounts state that Walsh's kite flew through the day and into the night. Quote, darkness had settled and the gorge was like a mass of ink, a paper recounted. The excited crowds built bonfires to keep themselves warm, but also to signal to Walsh that everyone was on the lookout for his kite's landing. Around midnight, the wind finally settled down enough for the Union to land on the American side. As it touched down, shouts of celebration could be heard across the gorge, but suddenly there was a jerking on the string. 
The kite had landed on sharp rocks and ice, and its string was cut and the Union fell broken into the river below. Walsh attempted to retrieve it and, and try again. However, the ice of the river had halted the ferry from crossing. Defeated and exhausted, Walsh was forced to remain in Canada until conditions improved. After eight days, he finally made it back home and was delighted to find that the damages to his recovered union were less than critical. Feeling inspired, he left again for Canada. Within only 30 minutes of flying the Union for the second time, he again landed it across the gorge. Once recovered, its string was secured and along it, sturdier wires were drawn. First cord, then rope, and then finally a cable consisting of 36 strand number 10 wire. From the cords and ropes attached to each cliffside, Allet's engineers fastened a cableway to get between New York and Ontario, acting as both a ferry and a framework for the bridge. This cableway carried a simple open car, little more than an iron basket built for two, ascending high above the river below to carry passengers across the divide. It began its operations on March 13, 1848, and passengers could ride across for a dollar a person. Ellett was the first one to travel across the gorge to demonstrate the safety and how the pulley system worked. The cableway was a popular attraction, sometimes carrying as many as 125 people per day. Once the cableway was replaced by the bridge, the iron basket was passed to the Buffalo Historical Society and is now in possession of the Buffalo History Museum. Ellett's 762-foot-long suspension bridge opened to the public on August 1, 1848, and its designer himself was, of course, the first to make the crossing, which he did via horse and carriage. His enjoyment of his triumph would be short-lived, however, Though forbidden from collecting tolls, he and his brother were charging pedestrians 25 cents to cross and keeping the money for themselves. In October of the same year, there was a dispute between the Ellett brothers and the committee, which led to Ellett himself and others being arrested. A court order was arranged against the Ellett family and Ellett left the project. With Ellett out of the picture, the bridge was taken over by John Augustus Roebling, whose original proposal had been rejected. Soon after, however, construction for Roebling's bi-level bridge began, with Ellett's original bridge used as scaffolding. The lower level was opened first in 1854 for pedestrians and carriages, and the upper level for railways was opened two years later. In its first two years of servicing railways, the suspension bridge carried three prominent rail lines in and out of Ontario and New York, the Great Western Rail of Canada, the New York Central, and the New York and Erie. 
With major railways and easy access between the two countries, there was a boom in tourism and local business, furthering development of local towns and cities. The suspension bridge itself was considered an architectural spectacle. Prior to the American Civil War, the suspension bridge helped freedom seekers cross over the Canadian border. As one of the few main passages into Canada, it became the integral and final stop on the Underground Railroad for many. According to the National Park Service, the number who found freedom across this bridge numbered in the thousands. Harriet Tubman herself made at least one trip across the bridge, with freedom seekers escaping from Maryland in November of 1856. Homan Walsh's legacy lived on long after the construction of the bridge. The Buffalo Commercial newspaper on April 8, 1915 noted that there was a young boy named Edwin Wilson who was reminiscent of the young Homan Walsh. At the age of only 13, Wilson was making and flying beautiful kites for himself and his schoolmates. On the morning of April 8th, there were 34 kites flying outside of Wilson's home and compared the spectacle to the kite flying competition that had started it all. After describing Walsh's success, the newspaper wrote that, quote, kite flying for nearly 70 years has meant much to Niagara, so that to old residents, as well as to the younger residents, the work of little Edwin Wilson in kite building is significant of accomplishment. And as the sky in the vicinity of his home is made lively by many kites, thoughts turn back and review to what the flying of one kite did for the locality. On March 8, 1899, Walsh died at his home in Lincoln, Nebraska at the age of 68. The story was printed in papers across the country. As well as being responsible for the world's first suspension bridge, he was also a real estate agent, a Lincoln City Council member, and officer of the Lincoln Gas Company. Walsh requested to be buried in his hometown of Niagara Falls and is at rest in Oakwood Cemetery along with Theodore Hewlett. Throughout the years, the suspension bridge underwent many renovations. The upper level was redone in 1873, the original wooden materials were replaced by iron and steel in 1886, and the third rail was removed. Eventually, Leffert L. Buck was commissioned to building a new arch bridge to replace the suspension bridge. It was not that the former's design had faltered, but rather new railways with increased traffic and train weights rendered it obsolete. Buck's new steel arch bridge, later renamed the Whirlpool Bridge, opened on August 27, 1897, and was better suited for new technology and transportation. This is what's still standing today, almost identical to where Homan Walsh's kite landed over 170 years ago. 
The Buffalo History Museum receives operating support from Erie County, the City of Buffalo, the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Andrew M. Cuomo and the New York State Legislature. Additional support is provided by M&T Bank and from our donors, members, and friends. Today's story was researched and written by Helen Shandra, one of the museum's great interns, and produced by members of our staff. My name is Anthony Greco, and we'll see you in two weeks with another story from Western New York history. So until then, take care. <laughs>